Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. Spring is here. What a season it's been. Uh, the opportunity to go in, in a number of different podcast interviews, articles, uh, back to my undergraduate home of University of Washington, speaking on a panel about exceptional leadership. And of course, one fundamental aspect of exceptional leadership and team performance is really measuring and understanding what that performance is. And we're going to get into that with a passionate expert on the art and the science of measurement. You know, I ran across this very famous quote. I've seen it published and repeated so often, what gets measured gets managed. But the interesting thing about that quote is it kind of ignores the relevance factor, isn't it? Because we could go out and choose to do a lot of measurement and try to manage it, but that doesn't mean you're going to get ultimate impact if it's not relevant. So we're going to talk with Chris Mercer, aka Mercer, who's the co-founder of measurementmarketing.io. And Mercer is a much sought after measurement marketing expert. So he knows all about that relevance factor. Mercer and his team have been helping marketers, bigger marketing teams, agencies measure their marketing so they know what's working, what's not what's coming next. And he also spends a lot of time reading, practicing, adjusting, and innovating to improve the skill set. So we're talking about an expert that is continuously learning to be able to help others achieve more. And also involved in a lot of events, thought leadership uh, has been quoted so often. He's out there in the podcast world, out on YouTube. So I'm excited to dive into this topic of exceptional leadership through better measurement with Mercer. Welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure. Thanks again for having me. So let's uh, get this out of the way early. There's this thing about Mercer, okay? What's the, what's the story behind that? Story behind Mercer. So there's so technically my name is Chris Mercer, as you mentioned. And so when early, early days of work in what used to be offices that people would go to in the before days, uh, we would go to the office and there'd always be another Chris there. And at a certain point, it was like big Chris or little Chris or skinny Chris and a large Chris. And it was like, you know what? People just go by last names. So we all started going by our different last names. And it just sort of stuck as especially now as I move into the the internet, which is now my office, there's definitely another Chris on the internet. So it just sort of stuck as Mercer and it, it became a brand uh, in and of itself. And, and that's how Mercer was born. Ah, makes a lot of sense. And I love your reference to that quaint concept of uh, working in an office, right? We kind of remember that. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what really started this whole journey for you and, and your passion behind metrics measurement? What really made the difference for you to, to pursue that? You know, this is going to be a funny answer, but it's laziness. To be honest, I think um, I, my background was really in sales and sales management, kind of kind of growing up 
uh, in, in this industry. And so as, and mostly that was in sales management. Um, the reason I became a sales manager so quickly in organizations was because I use systems, right? And I use systems because I was lazy. So like, why put all the effort if you can just have a really good system and then leverage the different parts and pieces? Well, I would measure my own systems and then I would teach those to other salespeople and hence the sales management stuff where I'm very used to managing through the pipeline as we go in. So fast forward into, you know, everything moves into digital and we start getting internet and I create this company to teach people how to do WordPress sites. As I, as I it was the first company we did is we um, became entrepreneurs, right? Instead of working for the corporate world. So we taught that and then pretty quickly people were like, well, how much for you to build my site? Because that's, that seems like a lot of work. So we started building sites. But then from a marketing perspective, I didn't want to just blend in with everybody else and their cousin who was building WordPress sites back then. We needed to differentiate. So we said, well, we're going to build your site and we're going to do this new thing because back then it was new called conversion rate optimization, where we're going to give you a WordPress site, then we're going to optimize it. Well, in order to optimize, you must first measure. And so that's where we started picking up tools like Google Analytics. I'm like, what is this analytics thing? How does it work? And we would set it up in a way that was very much like a sales pipeline because that's what, that's where I grew up. That's That was sort of how I thought you were supposed to do it. So we're measuring through user journeys. We're like, did, is the site, as a salesperson, is the site having the conversation that it's supposed to have with the users to move them through the pipeline? And if not, where is it getting jammed up? Is it not making enough people aware? In which case, we know it's traffic. Is it not making enough people engage? In which case, maybe it's a little off or the expectation is off maybe. Um, or is it just not getting enough people to buy, right? To complete whatever that journey is. And so we would constantly set these things up. We would deliver the websites and practically overnight when we started adding that component, all of our referrals changed and they stopped becoming, hey, we need a WordPress site to, I was at a mastermind and a buddy told me I should reach out to you because they showed me their analytics and how much for you to set ours up like that? Like we already have a WordPress site we're, or we have a, a website is what it became. How do you do the analytics for it? And we didn't know it could do this stuff. We didn't, we thought it was the matrix when we look at these things and it turns out it can be a story if it's set up properly. So that's how we got into the whole measurement marketing concept from that initial, you know, background of just sort of being in love with numbers anyway, because it helps us measure through the pipeline. Yeah. What an interesting story. A couple of things jumped out as you were talking uh, about that. First is the power of referrals. Sounds like that was <clears throat> something that you, you experienced firsthand, but the other aspect is you, you were describing your role as a teacher and I know you're yes. still in that teacher type of role today, but I've always wanted to ask, so someone who is teacher, but isn't there a learning component? So as you're teaching, you're getting your own personal learning and development, right? It's not just about being on the other side as being the recipient. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Like to really understand something, you should teach it. Because if you can teach it, in other words, if I taught you analytics and then you taught it to somebody else, and if all you did was repeat word for word what I told you, you don't really know it. But if you can teach it to somebody by using different words, explaining it in your own way, and they arrive at the same spot, that's how you really know that you've understood it because you've synthesized that information, right? It is now your skill set that you're teaching, not repeating my skill set, if that makes sense. So absolutely, I'm a big fan of teaching to, to learn, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Mercer, we've got so much data around it. On this podcast, I've had uh, a couple of guests and we talk, it's, it's hard to even put that many zeros on just trying to quantify how many, how many pieces of data marketers, business leaders have. We have technology that's out there to try to help us make sense of all this data. But even given all that, given the technology and the advancements, what makes measurement still challenging and, and so hard? That's a great question. One is that it's too easy 
to activate measurement tools. And I'm using that word activate on purpose because you can put like, a, let's say Google Analytics, you know, like Google Analytics 4, kind of the new kid on the block now. And you put that code on your pages and all of a sudden that thing lights up your reports have information. So everyone then goes, okay, well now how do I use this information to you know, give me superpowers as a marketer to improve my business? And the, the issue is you can't, it's just been activated. It wasn't configured properly. So imagine if I gave you like Goldilocks and Three Bears as a kid's book to read. You could probably read it just fine. But if I take that book back, I rip out the pages, I rip those up into pieces and I smash them all between the covers of that book and I give that book back to you and say, can you read me the book? Now, there's some people who are like, well, no, I couldn't read, but you could. I didn't change your ability to read. I just made it much harder because you have to dump them all out, try to figure out the order, how to put them together so they tell an actual story, and then all of a sudden you can read the story, right? Well, with Google Analytics and, and just data in general, most data, and this is unfortunate, but it's dark. They call it dark data, but it's essentially data that is never going to be used. The reason it's, it's collected but never used, the reason that happens is because companies are collecting for collecting sake a lot of times because yeah. they're thinking, well, I'm going to need it because it's that fear of missing out. What if I don't have it? I'm going to ask a question around it. But the problem is they're not collecting it to answer a specific question. So it's not being collected to be able to answer a specific question. It's just information. And then you have essentially a bunch of ripped up pieces of paper. It's not just one book, it's thousands of books and they're all in one box. And now you're like, wait, not only do I have to try to figure out what each individual story is, I have to figure, separate out go to the three bears from quantum physics manuals that they're all ripped up and how do you do that? And the answer is you don't, you can't. Like that's the whole point. If you learn how to use the tool effectively from the start, and typically that starts with a strategy, because that's where I think a lot of people um, accidentally sort of mess that step up. When you have a strategy that says, okay, here's the information we need in order to answer these questions. Here's the actions we're going to take based upon the answers we get. Okay, now let's go into our tool, measure for that so we can collect the information because we already know what we're going to do with it. And so then that's how you move a company forward uh, without just getting buried in, in data. Um, and, and it's something that's going to be a trend as the data privacy laws take hold, which they are certainly going to do in the US, um, as well as obviously GDPR, everyone's already familiar with, is data is going to be a liability for a lot of companies. Yeah. Uh, there's, going to be, there's going to be users who are like, I want you to get rid of my data, and they won't be able to do it because they didn't collect it properly. And that's going to be a problem. They're going to have to just dump databases. And you know, there's a, it's, just, it's, a, it's a fascinatingly um, vibrant world, this whole what's going on with data and measurement. But if you have a proper strategy, if you're collecting the information you need just to get the answer so that you can take the action you want to take, it becomes much, much easier. Yeah, it's interesting. You kind of brought up the compliance aspect and, and the risk aspect. I do a lot of work in uh, the education space uh, with marketing teams, and that's certainly a sensitivity there. And you mentioned strategy. Let's Let's dive in a little bit more around a measurement strategy can you talk a little bit about what you've seen as the most critical elements of a successful strategy? And then are there some companies you point to that are out there that you think have really hit the mark well in, in crafting and then executing on that strategy? Yeah, it's a good question. So I, I think generally speaking, um, a lot of companies have bits and pieces of this, but the a strategy I think should be, I think it's really easy to make things complicated. The skill is to keep things simple, right? And that includes with strategy. So for us, a proper strategy is really just three steps. The first is you plan out what your measurement is. The second is that you build out that measurement according to your plan. And then the third is you use that measurement properly, right? What we call launching it. So the, as with all things, the trick isn't just what to do, but it's how you do each of those steps. So in the planning step, um, 
ask questions. That's where you start. So in the planning step, the first key to that is ask questions. And I think the trick to that is people will immediately go, well, I'm an e-commerce store. So what questions should I be asking? And they go to Google and they say, what questions should an e-commerce store owner ask? And now Google has 14 million blog posts with, you know, seven questions to ask, 12 questions to never ask, 47 questions you should ask. And everybody's least confused and overwhelmed. With questions, the trick is just ask results questions and how questions. That's it. There's only ever two types of questions. The results questions most companies are asking already, which is, you know, what's the end of the customer journey stuff? How many leads did we get? Or how many purchases did I make? What the average order value is? How much revenue, et cetera, et cetera. But the how questions are so much more important. Results are also important, but how questions are more important. How did we get that sale? How many people had to see the product detail page in order to add to cart, in order to begin checkout, in order to confirm shipping, in order to confirm payment to ultimately purchase, right? And now you can start to see that pipeline when you, when you have that. So just ask results and how questions. And if anyone's out there going, well, I don't know if I'm asking the right ones, I promise you, you are. And what's nice about measurement is it is a skill. It's a muscle that we can develop. So the more results and how questions you ask, the better you naturally get at it. So you don't have to worry about getting better. You're naturally well. So that's first step is results and how questions. Then we go into that second sort of key of that planning stage here. And that's where you collect the information that you need in order to get answers to the question. So a very simple one might be, okay, I'm asking a question around opt-in rate. Well, what information do I need to collect to figure that out? Well, I need to know the number of people who could have opt-in and see the offer page and the number of people who did opt-in. Let's call out the thank you page. And I can divide those out, figure my opt-in rate. Great. So now I'm collecting information. Then, and this is the, this is the secret sauce to this planning stage. This is the thing that I would say 99% of companies miss. Not maliciously, it's just out of ignorance. They haven't thought about it. And it's the action step. So or the, the key to action here. And so what happens is we have the questions like the opt-in rate. We know the information we're going to gather in order to figure out what our opt-in rate is. What are we going to do with that? Well, and this is how you think about it. It's less than, it's kind of like if things are lower than what I think they're going to be, if things are higher, if things are just right. Again, think Goldilocks. So we go, well, the opt-in rate, because it's cold traffic, should be between 25 and 35%. I'm like, great. What are you going to do if that happens? Well, we're going to continue to scale traffic, maybe bring some other traffic sources to, to net more leads. Okay, cool. We know that what's going to happen if it hits the sweet spot. What if it's less than 20%? Well, if it's less than that, we're going to look at the targeting of the ad because maybe there's an expectation mismatch, or maybe we have to look at the offer, if the opt-in rate, especially when compared to other offers we might have, if it's lower, you know, we can adjust those things. All right. What if it's 50%, right? Because an opt-in rate, a conversion rate can be too good. Well, if it's 50%, that leads me to believe that it's kind of exactly exact right audience. It's coming in at kind of like warmer traffic numbers. So maybe I can expand out my audience that I'm targeting. And even though I'll, I'll drop it down a little bit, but I'll net more leads. We can do that. And the beauty of this is all of this is done in the planning stage before you open up that spreadsheet, before you look at ads manager, before you go into Google analytics or anything like that, you already know what you're going to do when you see the number. And this eliminates the problem that a lot of organizations have of lots of reports, lots of information, a ton of data, but no action, no story, no insights. Well, why? Because somebody develops a report that there was really no plan for. They, they, and typically it's on the data side. So they'll develop these reports. They throw them over to marketing team. Marketing seems to table with a bunch of numbers and goes, okay, this is great, but I have no idea what to do with this because there was never a plan to do anything with it. And so in the planning stage, it's not, in my opinion, it's not so much about KPIs at that point as much as it is about what are we going to do with the information that we're about to get? What are, the, what are we going to do when we get these answers to these questions we're trying to answer? And it makes data a little bit more accessible for everybody in the company besides the people that are super comfortable with numbers. So that's the plan. 
right? The next is the build. And that's where you move into tools like Google Analytics 4 or whatever else people are using. It doesn't really matter. It's sort of tool agnostic. But the idea is that you make sure that that platform understands the results you're trying to achieve. So how many people were aware of this customer journey? How many people completed the customer journey? How many people engaged along the way? And you sort of measure for those results in stages. Then you make sure it understands the traffic. Where's the traffic coming from? Is it Facebook traffic? Is it my TikTok traffic? Is it YouTube? Is it my email? And then you can connect those dots where you start to see a natural story appear. And you'll see things like, wow, Google Organic is really good at creating awareness, but it's not good at helping people complete the journey. But that Facebook campaign is amazing at getting them to engage and become a lead. And then emails, emails are what's actually closing this, the deal. And it tends to be email number four that's really doing the work. And you can see a story start to appear you know, and, and, in your builds automatically. So we've got the plan. We've got the build, and then you launch it. And this is when you actually do get those numbers. You look at the reports, and you essentially the first key to this, this launching step is to listen. What are we listening for? We're listening for the conversation that's happening between the users and the website because there is a conversation that's happening there. And we don't know if it's the conversation that we want to have or not. We, we have an intention. We put up our websites of how they're supposed to work, but very few of us actually measure that to see if it's actually doing the job. I always think about like a salesperson. Is the salesperson actually having the conversation I want them to have with the prospect at this point in the journey? And so we listen for those trends and patterns. Then you move and you have a forecast. And this is the other thing that I think, again, a lot of companies just don't realize they should be doing, but there has to be a forecast. Like one of my, we did a training uh, for a corporation. We flew out in this conference room and there's about 15 people on the conference room. And they asked, they're like, well, we're just trying to figure out how people are using our blog. Now, I have heard this question in a thousand different ways, but it's always the same question. Like, we're just trying to figure out people using our site. We're just trying to figure yeah. out how people are using our e-commerce store, right? It's always that type of question. And I, and I already know what I'm going to say. I'm like, okay, well, I had a question. How are they supposed to be using your blog? And it's crickets because that's the first time anyone ever thought about it. I don't know. Like, we're just supposed to have a blog because of SEO. We never thought about like, well, 30% are supposed to scroll down and then see the ad and then 10% of those are supposed to click it. Look, we never thought about how it was supposed to work. I'm like, well, that's how we do this. So you have an understanding of how things are supposed to work and that's your forecasts. And then you're measuring against that. Are we getting the behaviors that the website's supposed to get? In other words, is it having the conversation that we think it's having? And then you, and when we're measuring against that, you instantly see where you're hitting the mark and where you're not. And that's the optimization step. That's where you go, okay, I can see here that we got a lot of people hitting the blog post and we thought 30% would scroll down, but only 2% are. And it seems like 90% are leaving within 10 seconds, right? Well, that's a very different problem. When you understand that level of behavior, a very different problem to solve than, wow, they're all staying like three minutes on the blog post. They're all scrolling down, but nobody's clicking on the offer. That's a completely separate problem. But what most companies have access to is they landed on the blog post and then nothing happened. They don't know why, because they're not measuring to the level of behavior that they can, because they don't even know that they could do that. And then when you understand this, and again, the strategies are what sort of naturally grow into this, the whole idea of where do we focus our very limited marketing resources in order to get the most bang for the buck, right? That becomes almost unavoidable. Like you just know where to invest your resources to, to get uh, more action from what you're investing. And I think the approach you're talking about there leads to what I would call intentional actions as opposed to reactive exactly actions. Right. And I've seen that on teams, you know, where 
hey, uh, we're, we're going to be actively collecting. We're going to try to ask the right questions. But the thing is, we haven't already um, done the deep um, intentional thinking around what outcome we're trying to achieve. And so we're just reacting to what we're seeing and then trying to put in place our action plan to address That's exactly that. right. But you're already, you're already a step behind, right? Because you That's could exactly have right. out ahead. So I think you're, you're spot on there. And I'll tell you, if you think about it, uh, and this is this is this is why I think it's it's so much simpler than it than it is. I think digital marketers kind of lose their minds all of a sudden. They just forget about human nature, um, and and again, not not their fault. I get it because it's it's digital and it feels like a different world, but it's not because of human nature. So you would never like you and I if we were like, hey, let's go into business together, and I'm like, great, here's an idea. We're gonna buy a bunch of stuff. We're gonna put that stuff in the warehouse in a pile. We're going to invite a lot of people to come in there and then we're just going to watch and see what happens. And, and then they buy a bunch of shoes and they're like, hey, guess what? We're a shoe store now. That would never happen in the real world, right? Yet that's what digitally is going on with a lot of organizations. We're just going to collect a bunch of stuff. We're going to see what happens. And then we're going to go like, oh, this is how they're using our site. We would never do that. When you build a regular offline store, you have a planogram. You have an understanding of where the shelves are going to be. You know what products are on what shelf and why, right? You've thought it through. But digitally, that does not happen because it's too easy and fast to build digitally. So it, it, it requires less effort to build. So people don't plan as much because of that lack of, of, uh, of effort. So it, it can be a problem when things are, are too fast sometimes. But when you use a strategy, it's, it forces you to slow down, right? And stop sort of thinking forensically. So instead of asking questions like, what happened to that you know, $1,000 we spent on Facebook? Uh, last week, you start asking questions like, what's going to happen to the $1,000 we're going to spend on Facebook next week? And that's where measurement is sort of at its pinnacle. So it's not about just what's working and what's not, though it's good at that. It's also when it's done properly, it can tell you what's coming next. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to characterize it. Now you've referenced some tools uh, in our conversation and obviously all of us are getting inundated with uh, offers of the latest, greatest new incredible marketing tool that's going to help you right get to all that how do we sort through how do we sort through all this where do tools come into play uh, for a successful outcome that's a great question in in measurement when it comes to measurement there are only three generally speaking there's three things you're doing you have to collect the information so that you can answer those questions we talked about right so you have to collect stuff you have to store that information somewhere some database and then you build reports based upon that so we collect we store and we report so then it just comes down to which tool do I use to collect which tool do I use to store information and which tool do I use to report that information so I can actually see what's going on and get those answers so I can go take the actions so in the case of a tool, like, and it depends on the business and the complexity and marketing stack and everything else, how big they are. But let's say you just were a small business starting out. Google Analytics 4, which is kind of the new kid, a free tool from Google. Um, that one is, it can collect its own information. It can store it in its database and it builds reports automatically. That's where we actually interact with the data. So it's doing all three of those eventually you will start to ask questions that maybe Google Analytics 4 by itself cannot collect the information for. And that's where there's a tool called Tag Manager. And so some people have heard of these Tag Managers or Google Tag Manager. And that's all that platform does. It was built to collect behaviors. So if I went to Google Analytics and I said, listen, I want to know how many people saw the pricing table in their viewable browser window for at least five seconds. Right. So I can basically measure for like an investigative behavior. Google Analytics 4 by itself can't do that. It doesn't know how to. It's not built to do that. 
but tag manager does know how to do that. So I can tell tag manager, listen, when you see somebody on the site and they're looking at the pricing pricing table for at least five seconds, go tell Google Analytics 4 that this is happening, that they're investigating the pricing offer right now. So I understand that part of the journey has been accomplished. Then Google Analytics 4 can store it because it is really good at being a database. That's really what it's built for. It's a big behavioral database. So it stores the information and then I can look at the reports. Now, again, sometimes the reports are useful in GA4. And if you're more of a numbers oriented person that you're comfortable with that format, you probably like that. But there's a lot of people out there who are like, I just want a thumbs up or thumbs down. I need stick figure simple, right? I don't want to see a number. I don't want to see a spreadsheet. So that's where another tool that, that just Google as an example, but there's lots of them out there, is uh, Looker Studio, which is a dashboarding platform, essentially. It builds, it builds reports. That's all it does. So Tag Manager can collect information, but it doesn't do reporting and it doesn't store it. Google Analytics 4 can store the information and then use Looker Studio to build the reports. You sort of connect Looker Studio into Google, uh, Google Analytics 4, and it can build the reports. So now you have a nice dashboard that says thumbs up, thumbs down, and maybe there's a deeper dive for somebody else on the team who needs the more detailed stuff. It can be sort of customized for them. But it's always collecting the information, storing the information, and building reports upon the information. And in particular, when it comes to tools, I'm always looking for tools that can tell me what the user journey is. Because it's, it is great to know that somebody bought something. It is better to know how they did that. Because then I can do two things. If I'm successful at that journey, I can replicate it. If I am not successful, I can fix it. I know where it's hurting and I can adjust the conversation to keep the conversation going in the direction that I want. That's the whole idea. Measurement is how we listen to their side of the conversation. And marketing is how we respond to keep the conversation going. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like find what's working and then the rinse and repeat. Stop trying to reinvent all the time. It's just uh, so unproductive to do that. Now, let's shift gears a little bit. You are a co-founder, measurementmarketing.io, and I always love to talk to company founders about one of the hardest things uh, in founding a company is really developing a healthy, sustainable culture, keeping that alive and vibrant. What's made a difference for you in terms of being able to do that? That's a Great question, because I think there is a stage where as a company grows, you know, there, there's sort of like that mission statement and the value statement and all the other stuff. And I think that is important. I think as you get bigger, that becomes more important because you have to sort of have a message that hits the masses in the organization. But as you're growing, what we started doing is we sort of have like these isms. So like one of them would be trust, but verify. So that means for us, as a company, we all know this. All of our team members know this. This is how they think. When they get something done, whatever they've created, they trust but verify. So they trust that they did it correctly. However, they immediately sort of switch that hat and they go, and I have totally screwed it up. I'm going to go prove that I screwed it up. And they look for errors. Because what most people do is they go, oh, I did it right. Let me go double check that I did it right. And they're looking for where they're correct. So they miss the obvious errors. So we do trust, but verify. You, you, you have to sort of like, yeah, I trust I did it right, but I'm going to assume I did it wrong. Now I'm going to go find my errors. And that that helps us kind of do that. Um, there's, there's other ones that we might have where uh, one of them might be, it's not your fault, but it is your problem as an example, right? So instead of just saying, we are responsible for it, we're a responsible organization. It's like, no, no, it's not your fault, but it's your problem. We do a lot of sayings like that because people will come across and be like, well, it's not my fault the client did give us the code, but or put the code on the right 
gauges that we needed to measure, but it's our fault that we don't, you know, while it's not our fault that that didn't happen, it is our problem that they don't have their reports. So how else can we work with the client to maybe uh, give them a little occasional smudge and slack or something, a little more to, hey, it's someone's seen the code, and you think I can get it in the next hour? Like, and, and how do you talk to the client in order to take the actions? So it's those little isms like that that we have sort of generated over the years that give us a cultural DNA that we can teach to other people in the organization and so that everybody sort of thinks in the same way, but it's not so restrictive that we are not able to evolve, right? So everyone has these, everyone can be their own individual thought. Some are more technical than others, some are more creative than others, um, but they all sort of follow the core DNA of our organization. Yeah, and I, I, I love the constructive perspective looking inward. It can be really uncomfortable, right? Sometimes to be... Uh, self-critical, but but looking at it from an objective standpoint, but true continuous improvement. I don't know how else you get there. Right. That's exactly right. Like, in fact, to that note, we have one of the isms is get good enough to get going, then come back and make it better later. Right. So there's a lot of times where people will get caught up in perfection and they miss out yeah. on progress because of that. And there are times where the team will come to me, which I love when they kind of throw it back and they're like, hey, are we uh, making this better later before we got good enough to get going? And you're like, yes, we are. We're talking about the fourth version. We haven't even put out the prototype yet. Right. So it's like, okay, well, let's go back. What's our good enough to get going approach? Let's get out there get it moving, make some progress, then we'll come back and make it better later. And it builds momentum. Everybody feels the win and the, and the company grows. Yeah. Now, something I talk quite a bit about in my recent book, The Impact Makers, is the drivers behind exceptional leadership. From your perspective, Mercer, what separates truly exceptional leadership from just good enough? They care. I think they care. I think... It, you know, we have conversations with our leadership team, and I'll give you a kind of a case in point. We were growing as a small organization, right? We started kind of as a me by myself and then and then grew it up as we went. And one of the um, one of the tenants when we were coming through the leadership team was like, listen, we can I was asking them questions like, where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be a year from now? Right? Where do you want to be two years from now? Just to kind of get an idea of where they're where they were charting their lives. Not just in terms of money, that was a question, right? How much money do you want to be making? Also, what do you want to be doing with your life in five years, two years in this organization, as you can see it, assuming you wanted to be here for that long. And then we were asking about, um, you know, questions around retirement and savings and like, you know, sort of helping them to build a vision of where they wanted. And I found that the team at the time wasn't really focused on that, on the saving side. They didn't have it. And some of them are a little older. So it was like, like, this is, this is a concern for me as a company leader. I, I want to have a, a growing organization, but I believe the company should take care of its team, you know, because the team or who grew it, they're the gardeners of this garden. So the garden should nurture them as well. So we, we came up with the 401ks and matching 401ks and let's introduce you to, you know, this idea of retirement and saving for retirement in a way that was seemingly painless, right? You don't really notice that stuff coming out of your account each month. Company can now profit share and help them. And now they have their compensation. They have bonuses. We do monthly bonuses. We do quarterly bonuses. We do all that stuff and they've got the retirement. So, the, and, and, they've, and as a team member, you feel like, wow, like this company really cares about me. They want me to be successful as a person. So why would I not want to make the company successful and even bigger so it can help more people become successful? So we're very much um, focused on that. If we can make our team members successful and, and if the company's growing, right, it is only because everybody is helping the customers to be successful. Like those two things cannot occur unless the customers are happy too. So it sort of helps us to, to focus by that level of caring. Yeah, so important. And if we've learned nothing else over the last three years and just how highly disruptive the world has been yes, and the whole 
changing dynamic. The bar has really been raised, hasn't it, in terms of what employees not only expect, but what they demand. And they're not waiting around. If, if the company is not delivering it, they're, they're walking. And we're seeing that, right? And all this em- employee migration out of organizations or from one to another. Uh, but it's really challenging in that way, right? It's very competitive for top talent. It's exactly right. But that's that's why I think, again, that, that caring is an exceptional skill because like in our particular case, knock on wood, we have not had a problem with turnover. We have, you know, our, we just celebrated today one of our key team members, eight years. Um, but most of them are, I think we're probably at an average of five or six years at this point. We have 12 team members. I mean, it's and it's because they might be able to make more money someplace else. They won't be in the same environment. The garden won't be the same. And they know that. So they'd rather stick with us longer term because we are in it for them longer term too. And there's, and it's not to say that it's always going to work and there's not going to be the exceptions because there certainly will. But it does help us to sort of have that, you know, taller walls and wider moats when it comes to protecting our talent because we're not just here to be, you know, oh, we have the newest cereal too that you can have at our new cereal bar. Like anybody can do that. But not every company is built to care at the level that we are. And that level of emotional connection is hard for somebody else to duplicate and be competitive against us with. Yeah. Now you're giving advice all the time. I'm going to flip it around and ask you, what's the best piece of business advice you have ever received? Man, that's a good question. I, I think there was a time where, uh, when I was in college, I met a guy named Frank Carney. Uh, he was speaking in some student group had brought him in there and he was the founder of Pizza Hut, you know, a little, little company maybe people have heard of. And I jumped up on stage because I was really big in the Tony Robbins back then. And I was going to be the next Tony Robbins. And I'm like, I interview owners and founders and find them, blah, blah, blah. And I just want to meet with you one-on-one and have a quick, and he's like, okay, come down to Houston. You know, all right. So I, uh, at the time I had no car. So I borrowed a car, got down to Houston uh, from where I was in, in uh, Kyle Station at Texas A&M. And one talked to him and I asked him that. I said, what's the one piece of advice if you had one word? And he's like, focus. He's like, you have, you have to focus. You have to pick one thing. And I heard that and I was like, that makes so much sense. I'm going to ignore that for about 20 years before I get it. And that's kind of what happened. But focus for me was, was a challenge because I took it at the time to mean focus on the tactic right? Like, oh, he did a pizza place. I should find a pizza place and I'm going to be the best pizza place ever or whatever the thing was. But I don't think it's that. It's the common thread behind everything that you've already done. You sort of look back at your past and there was a common thread. And for me, and it took me a long time to see this because it was in the sales manager thread. It was technically in the sales thread. It was in the sales manager thread. It was in the, the businesses thread when I was going through stuff. It was teaching, I love that moment. I will do anything for that moment to be in the room, to have a conversation like this where somebody has that light bulb and they go, I can never unsee that. Now I have new information that I can never let go of. It's changed the direction of their life because they have that new thought. I will do anything for that. And teaching, when I realized teaching was that, like I would be perfectly happy probably teaching in high school too, but it's not to be a teacher as much as it is to turn on those light bulbs. And I can do that. And that's what I've been doing. It's a sales manager. I get to train salespeople and have their light bulb moments. When I was in sales, it was helping the customers have their light bulb moments. Now it's having our students have their light bulb moments and my team members have their light bulb moments. And I sort of live in this bliss because I get to focus on becoming a better teacher. And that's, that would be my, my sort of advice, the best advice ever. It just took me a while to hear it and process it, but I got it eventually. Yeah, I like the way you you put that. It's really 
transformation one experience at a time. And so there's this idea of uh, just the collective aggregation of each of those individual experiences make for this like totally massive, uh, totally rewarding kind of impact, isn't it? Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you look at the future, Mercer, and I, I think you're a fairly optimistic, positive guy, but when you look to the future, what what keeps you optimistic? Back at the past. It's, it's a simple answer. And I, and I believe in simplicity. I think that is a skill to keep things simple, right? It's easy to make things complex. It's hard to keep things simple. And I think for anybody who's looking at the future and they see dreariness, look back 100 years, look back 200 years, look back 300 years, 500 years, 1,000 years, and then go forward 1,000 years to 500 years in front of that or another 100 years in front of that. And you start seeing like, wow, it's always been improving. It's never not gotten better. It's always been improving, generally speaking. Not to say that there's blips, that back and forth, and there's ebbs and flows, just like the ocean has tides, right? It ebbs and flows. But generally speaking, it's always gotten better. So there's no data point to say it's getting worse. And that's how I look at it. I'm like, oh, the future's going to be better. It might be disruptive. It might be a little messy sometimes. The thing that I thought, like if I was a horse and buggy owner right now, right, that would be a very niche industry. But 100 years ago, 200 years ago, probably would have had a huge company, multi-state right? Uh, for the states that existed back then. So it was like, you know, all that, that's sort of my thinking behind it is always generally speaking improved. So why would that ever, because it always has do it, done that, why would it stop now? And then, and then I see the technology, you know, that comes out the, and there's a lot of, you know, especially for those of you who are doom scrolling and I've done it too, right? I see a news feed and it's always like forever chemicals are destroying the world. And then you just, Google for some of the stuff and you find some blog posts where it's like, oh yeah, but this company figured out how to get forever chemicals with a five minute fix that they're investigating right now. And it's like, oh, okay. So is it, is it, as, it's never as bad as things, things are never as bad as they seem. They're probably never as good as they seem either in the moment, but generally speaking, they continue to improve. Um, so that's, that's why, that's why I'm optimistic because I have reason to be. Yeah. We all need to avoid a bit more of the doom scroll. <laughs> that is, that uh, is a fact. Sure. Now, as we start wrapping up the conversation, Mercer, do you have any other final advice for leaders looking to take their business to the next level? And how can people find you if they want to learn more? Great question. I think, you know, a little bit, a little bit selfishly, but I would say definitely use measurement to understand how your organizations are working, whether that's the website and we're talking about Google Analytics stuff or just in general, like how, you know, project management or how your teams are focusing. But the idea is that you understand how the system is working. So figure out what your systems are and then diagnose, how would you measure that that system is working properly at its different stages? Because when you understand that, when you have that feedback coming back in, you almost, again, it's it becomes really, instead of guessing all the time, which is what most people do, I'm trying to guess, oh, I need to fix the offer, or fix this or fix that. You just sort of know like, oh, it's definitely in this area and it focuses your resources. So work on your systems, pencil them out and then measure them to see are they working the way you think they're supposed to. Um, then you, again, it just sort of leads to lateral improvement at that point. And then to find us, I mean, obviously, measurementmarketing.io is our main homepage, but I'll give you a couple of links. One is, uh, for those of you who just want to sort of get some free training, we've got measurementmarketing.io forward slash YouTube. It'll take you to uh, where you can subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, for that, if you want to learn more about this measurement. And we do have a free level, as you mentioned, we do a lot of training, and we have a platform called the Measurement Marketing Academy that is designed, kind of a just-in-time learning platform to learn all these tools, and this, more importantly, the strategies behind the tools first. But we give away the strategy course, because I think out of everything we teach, let's face it, you can learn how to use Google Analytics for off YouTube. That's awesome. But you, most people don't know strategy. In other words, they, 
are thinking that the tools make them better when that's not true. Like if I was trying to learn how to be a chef and all I knew was cook an egg, but I buy a fancy stove, I'm still just going to cook an egg, even though I have a better tool. I got to learn how to be a chef. And with measurement, you got to learn strategy. So we give away that course and that's at measurementmarketing.io forward slash market impact now. So again, measurementmarketing.io forward slash marketing impact now. And that'll give you the course and a bunch of tools that you can start to use. And again, that's completely for free. Fantastic. Well, Mercer, thanks again for coming and sharing your experience and your passion for effective measurement that's making an impact every day. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for having me and giving me the opportunity to help. And a reminder to everyone, please continue to give the gift of feedback on this podcast, how we can continue to learn and get better. You can uh, rate and review. You can do that easily on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.